The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome, boys and girls, to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Rackross me is the one, the only, the hairy beast herself. Tammy, the underdog, Underwood. All right, let's get right into call number three from the happy face killer, Keith Jesperson, on uh, April 8th of 2023. And also remember, leave us a review on whatever service you are streaming or downloading this episode from. Hey, welcome back, Keith. All right. All right, so you want to grab on to uh, number seven now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to this is the Angel Sabrees case. This is the one that a lot of people, you know, get a little upset about because, you know, uh, of me dragging her down the highway. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's reasons why I did that, but, you know, there's a lot of people that, that, and how the case developed. But um, uh, this is, you know... I've written a story several times over over how this case developed in the basis of, of uh, how I got to the point where I met her. Um, you know, it was like January 11th of, of 1995. I was in Chicago, Illinois, and I had a load of uh, steel I had to pick up from Castle Metals of North Chicago, and I was supposed to deliver that to... Uh, to uh, Castle Metals there in Los Angeles. And I went up there to make my, my pickup, and of course that night I, uh, I, did I tell you all about that? Uh, which one? The picking up the metal? You mean I was talking, when I went up to Castle Metals up there in North Chicago to pick up a load, when I got up there, the guy screwed around with us, right? So he screwed around with us that night. Oh, yeah, yeah, you told us about that, right, how right, right. he wanted you to shift over or whatever. Yeah, I wanted him over six yeah. inches, and I told him to stick it up his ass. Anyway, yeah, that's basically how this, this story starts, right? So I get back to um, Lake Station, where our, our company office is, and I get there, and they finally, we have this big conference in the morning, and I tell them what happened. And they give me this load, and I'm headed to uh, I had a, a two-dropper. I was supposed to drop in Denver and then also in San Francisco. And... I was headed that way, and then it was like Friday the 13th at 8 o'clock in the morning. I was just outside Sterling, Colorado on Interstate 76, headed to Denver, and I had a tire blow up and catch fire. And I pulled over, and I couldn't get it out because I had a mechanical error in the back of one of my wheels. The brake, the automatic slack adjusters had locked up and caused uh, the, the overheat. There's no way I was going to get it put out without any water, so I just separated the units and, and split them up and waited for the fire department to show up and put out the fire. And the truck was from the uh, fuel tanks back was pretty much all in flame. And they finally put it out. But anyway, I I grabbed uh, one of the other drivers came by and picked up the trailer and I hopped on with him. And uh, he dropped me off and. After we made delivery in, in Denver, he dropped me off in Vegas, and I picked up another load. I uh, picked up another ride from another couple drivers to Fontana, California, and they gave me a, a truck they were going to retire and another flatbed. And I picked up a load of uh, coil steel at California Steel, headed to Spokane. When I got to Spokane, uh, I delivered it on Thursday the 19th, um, and then. I talked to my boss, and 
the, my truck was being repaired and it was actually fixed in Denver. And I had to get back to Denver to pick up my truck. Well, they put me in the Rick Pass Hotel in uh, Spokane, Washington. That's where they they had a contract with uh, with the Rick Pass, and they bring out a shuttle van. They come out to our company and they pick up all the drivers. They're going to put in there like the new hires and stuff. They're going through you know all the programs before they get hired, and they put them up in the Rick Pass. So that's what they did. They did like five of us drivers. They hauled us to the Rick Pass Hotel. And I get there, and they give me room 425. And I get so situated in, and I go down to the bar, and I'm sitting there in the bar, and I'm just, I'm one of these guys that just watches people. I, I like to watch people and see how things are working around me. It, it come, becomes habit. That's what it is. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching. I see this woman walking by with a bunch of luggage, and she walks into the main room, main front room, officer of the Red Pass. She puts the luggage down, but she doesn't check in. She comes in the bar, and she sits down, orders a, order, has a beer. And I notice all this, and I walk over to her, and I said, hey, this, I mentioned who I was. I said, I noticed she didn't check in. And I thought, well, maybe you want to spend the night with me. I've been up in room 425. You want to come up with me? Oh, maybe we'll go get her something to eat, and later we'll retire there. And, and work things out. And she looked at me kind of like, asked me a few questions. I answered them all, all way she wanted, I guess. And uh, next thing you know, I'm packing up her luggage and we're going to room 425. Or, and I dropped those off. We went across the street, grabbed herself a pizza and a 12 rack of beer and headed back to the room. And she tells me she's this exotic dancer. That's what she does for a living. And, and uh, so she did uh, some very exotic things with me that night. That's my new uh, That's my new career choice. Might be an exotic dancer. <clears throat> Just saying. Yeah. So yeah. Well, her and I we played, and uh, in the morning, in the morning, I I, I had didn't have much money left over. I only had about thirty bucks. I put it on the counter, and I gave I wrote out my number on how to contact me. I thought we had a great time. I think you really did. I think we got off real well, and uh, pardon the pun, but we it was just fine. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, I left her my number, how to get a hold of me later. And uh, I honestly, I didn't think I'd ever see her again, you know, because I drive up and down. And that morning, they, the shuttle picked me up, took me back on out there. And I, I hopped a ride with another driver and we headed towards Denver. And that was Friday morning. And uh, by Saturday morning, about nine o'clock, we were in Denver. And I called and we called my boss. And uh, the boss gave me a load of uh, railroad rail for Seattle that's picking up at a Pueblo, Colorado. And at the same time, told me, gave me a phone number for Angela Sabrese to, to call her because apparently I've made quite an impression, I guess. And she wanted to talk to me again. So eventually I was able, after I picked up the load in Pueblo and made it back to Cheyenne, Wyoming at the Flying J off of Highway 25 there. Um, I called her and I was able to get her on the phone and and uh, the person she was staying at that house where they were at gave me directions on how to get there. Now, I told her, well, I, she asked me where I was and I said where I was in Cheyenne and, and she said, well, my dad lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I said, yeah, and what point is that? And she said, well, I'd like to get there. And you think you can get me to Fort Collins, Colorado? And I said, well, 
I'm not allowed to have riders in with me and stuff like that. But for you, I guess, yeah, all right. I was thinking about the night we had together, and it could probably be several nights now I could have her, you know, together kind of thing. So, yeah, I was thinking with the wrong head, maybe. I don't know, something like that. (laughs) As we all do. As they all, we all do. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll get you to Fort Collins, Colorado, but I can't get you any for much further because, uh, you know, we have a snitch policy. I can't do this. I went through this with my number six murder, right? I have to deal with this. <laughs> you know, I don't, want to conf- I don't want to have to deal with this yet. So anyway, I, I, I told her I'd be there about Monday morning, about 1 o'clock. She said, Monday morning? This is like Saturday. She said, I, well, I got to get out of here now. And I said, "Listen, this truck doesn't go that fast. I can't, I can't just beam myself up there. I mean, this is, you know, I'm in, I'm in Wyoming, right? You and by the, and I drove all night. I'd get up there, and it was, I pulled in there about 12:30 in the morning, picked her up, she got in the truck, and I made my delivery at nine o'clock that next that morning in Seattle. We went and picked up a load of cedar for Pennsylvania, and I headed." Uh, I headed east out of there. Now, uh, it was snowing pretty bad up on the hill, up on Snoqualmie Pass. And uh, I would, and I, I got up there, and I, I said, now, i got to get going. we got to get over this hill before they chain it, make it chain up and maybe close the damn hill off. So by 2 o'clock that next morning, I was sitting in, um, where the hell was I sitting in? Uh, LeGrand. I was in LeGrand, Oregon. I pulled into the Flying J at LeGrand. And I parked there, and I went to sleep. Now, in the morning, I called to the boss and said where I was, but I was out. I had outdriven my logbook by two days. I'm always, I wasn't going to be able to, um, um, you know, move anywhere, anywhere, anytime soon for at least, you know, at least a day and a half. Anyway, and so I spent the time with her, and uh, we had a good time, and uh, we eventually kind of like limped our way over to Wyoming. I got into uh, uh, see Fort Bridger, Wyoming. There's a fly, there was a Burns Brothers truck stop there, and we stopped in there. And at that time, I asked her. I said, "Well, does your dad know we're coming?" And she said, "Well, no." And I said, "Well, don't you think you should call him to let him know that we're on our way?" Kind of like that. I'm going to dropping you off there. And she's like, "What do you mean dropping me off?" And I said, "Well, you said you wanted to go see your dad, and I told you that's where we're going to. I'm going to take you, and that's where I'm going to take you." Well, I, I, she gives me the number for her dad. I, I dial the number, and I use my credit card number to call. I didn't give her my credit card number. I'm, I'm smarter than that, I think. And so I called, and I hand the phone to her, and, and she's talking to her dad. And I hear a lot of yelling and screaming back and forth and stuff like that. So um, it, ends in, it doesn't end well. It just, so she hangs up the phone, and we sleep that night there. Wake up in the morning, we were about eight, six or seven in the morning, and it's just snowing like crazy. And I, we head east, and I get to Sinclair, and that's one of my fuel stops. So I pull into Sinclair, and I fuel up. And we call again. I, I said, why don't you call your dad? Maybe change his mind kind of a thing. And so I dial the number again, and she calls and talks to her dad. And uh, after she talks to her dad, she she. she she looks at me, kind of just runs. She says, "Can you make another call for me?" I said, "Well, who now?" I said, "There's a guy in Indianapolis." And I said, well, "An old boyfriend, kind of like in Indianapolis." I said, "Well, okay, I guess." And so I dial the number and, and I hand the phone to her. 
and she talked to this guy for about 20 minutes. And she turns to me and said, oh, we got to hurry up and get to Indianapolis now. And I said, uh, I, I said to her, I said, you know, I told you I'd get to Fort Collins. This is where I'm not going to drive you all around the country just because you say so. so. I figured what was happening is that she'd want me to go to Indianapolis. And when we got to Indianapolis, we'd want me to go to finish the load in, in, in Pennsylvania. And the next thing you know, she'd be in my truck for the next two goddamn months. And I didn't want that. I wanted wanted her to leave. I wanted to get her because she's overstayed her welcome. That's what I kind of felt like. You know, she, I, I was going to do what I said I was going to do. I promised her a Fort Collins. That's, that's what I meant. And I, I'm kind of like set in my ways, and that's how I looked at her. So we continued on, and I went past uh, Elk Heights there at Laramie, and uh, we got up to uh, the Burns Brothers there at Exit 377 there. Um, and uh, I stopped, and uh, I said to her, so, well, you can go down to Fort Collins from here on 25. And she said, well, I don't want to go to Fort Collins. I want to go to Indianapolis. I said, well, then you need to get another ride. That's what I told her. You need to find yourself another ride because I don't have the hours. I'm, I'm out of hours. I, I don't have the time. I, she wants to be in a hurry to get there and all this stuff. And she brought up something about being pregnant. She never, I don't think she was pregnant. I think she was just telling me so that I would take her there, kind of like. Her idea was that, you know, she'd go there and meet her old boyfriend, they'd get married, and the first one could come anytime, right? So that was that was the story kind of I was getting, and I didn't like the story because, hell, I've been poking at her for a week now, and I figured maybe she'd think I was my baby. But... Uh, it was kind of like along those lines where I was kind of wondering about that, and I, I, was, I didn't like the conversation where it was going. I had done what I said I was going to do. I got her as far as Fort Collins, and she didn't want to get out of the truck. So, And I told her to get out of the truck, and she didn't want to. She wanted to move forward. But I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll get to Nebraska, and if the scale house is open in Nebraska, uh, mile marker uh, 9 or what? 198, I think it was 198 or something like that. Anyway, I get there and the scale house is open and we're parked. We're not going anywhere. And so we head that way. And I get across into Nebraska and I get up to, uh, there's a rest here at mile marker 5859 on I-80. And I hit a patch of black ice and I'm, I'm sideways on the highway and I'm just kind of like straightening it out and when I straighten it up, I'm pointed right into this rest area so I just go into the rest area. I get up in there and I park, and there's nothing there, really. There's no, there's, there's some vending machines, but there's no restaurant to go to or anything. This is just where I'm at. And I get there and I park, and I said, this is it. I'm not going anywhere further. This is, I'm, not, I'm not playing this. And she was like, uh, well, I can't just sit here. I mean, <laughs> of course you can. I mean, this is it. This is where it is. But, um, she overstayed her welcome, and I knew she was, and I was getting kind of pissed off anyway. And so the first time she she got really kind of like pushy about let's get going and stuff like that, I said, this is enough of this. So then I just ended her life right then. I just strangled her and, and, and put her down, and I'm not going to deal with this shit anymore. And then, of course, after I did that, I realized, wait a minute, I used my credit card to call her dad. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do now? So... <coughs> A few hours later, when I noticed, I, you know, I think, you know, 
couple trucks went by throwing gravel or something like that, but it seemed like there was more traffic out there. And I, I drove east, and there's a Cabela's uh, store up the roadways, and there was also, I think it was either a Burger King or a McDonald's or something. One of the one of those two, and I, I stopped in, and I, and I ordered a couple burgers and fries, and she's laying there dead in the back of the sleeper there, and I'm sitting there eating my 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 evening meal, and I'm I'm looking back over my shoulder at her dead body laying there, and I'm going like, and if you would have kept your goddamn mouth shut, <laughs> you could have been eating one of these burgers. <laughs> anyway, Christmas. It was oh. funny at the time. It was funny at the time. I don't know, just the way I thought about it, but. Um, while I was sitting there eating, I came to this idea. I remember a movie where uh, a guy had parked his car, a Cadillac, and he had his uh, dog on a leash, and he tied the dog leash to the back uh, trailer hitch of the car. That was and, <laughs> National Lampoon's family off, vacation. Yeah. And he drove off, and apparently the dog ran as fast as it could until it right. couldn't anymore, and it got dragged to death, and there was nothing left of the dog, and some cop pulled him over and talked about how fast the little dog's legs were running until it couldn't run any further and it was kind of a funny story and, and I thought it was kind of an end. and I was like yeah right so um, I, I come to the conclusion that that would be a good way to get rid of her body was that I would tie her underneath my truck I'd drive down the highway as far as it took and then there'd be nothing left of her body and therefore it'd be no one calling my credit card number to find out who I was and so I pulled up there to a rest area at mile marker 198, just on the other side of the scale house. I parked on the far uh, east end of it where there was hardly any lights. I uh, tied her ankles uh, with a rope, uh, of a, uh, one end of the rope on each ankle, so there's a loop, uh, about a six-foot length rope, and I tied that. Something to hang on to, like a handle, you know, because body is hard to hang on to. So and I, t I tied her hands up in front of her, uh, in front of her uh, chest, and I, I figured that if I laid her down with her hands down on the pavement, that while I was dragging her down the highway, that her fingers and stuff would fall off first, and grind off to nothing, and her face would grind off to nothing, and her identity, her identity would be gone. And uh, I got underneath the trailer, and I tied a rope in the, one of the center, mem center cross members, and I envisioned where I'd put where the body would ride between the tires, so there's someone driving alongside of me would not see the body there. It'd be underneath the tire, between the tires. And I looked around the parking lot to see if anyone was moving, or no one was moving. So I, I eventually pulled the body over, uh, just pulled her out of the sleeper and let it fall on the ground, dragged her down underneath the trailer, and situated her the way I wanted her, and tied the rope on it under the loop around the ankles. And at that time of the night in, and on a Saturday morning, the, the traffic on Interstate 80 clustered up. Now, I don't know if you drive at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, but you'd see clusters of vehicles that would cluster up, and they'd all drive around about 70 miles an hour or better. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there'd be a long straight stretch where there'd be nothing for about 3 miles, 4 miles, and there'd be another cluster coming behind it. My reasoning was to pull in behind the one cluster, and I would drive, and there'd be nobody following me. And then I would drive until the other cluster caught me. And then when they did, I'd turn my signal on and go to the shoulder. And and like most drivers do, they get off the shoulder to, to relieve themselves or whatever. 
and that might be my would be my, my excuse. And then I would have about three minutes to jump out of my truck and go back there and cut the rope, and then drag what was left into the shoulder and leave it. So, I, as soon as the one cluster came along, I pulled in behind them and uh, turned my lights on as I entered the highway. And uh, my truck was governed at about 64 miles an hour, so that's as fast as I could go. And I, I got out of the park, and I could actually feel the drag of the, of the body dragging. It was, it was kind of interesting that, you, you know, when you're driving with a truck and you, you're running the gears, any, any, any weight or restriction, you could feel that. Yeah, you can your gears like, and how fast the RPM and it picks up and whatever. Oh, just like so, you can feel it when you, you know, depending on how heavy the load is, like if you're that's right. nothing you're but just, fluff. You, you, could feel the, you could feel the drag on the ropes. Right? Yeah. So I, so I headed down the road, and eventually it, it kind of planed off, pardon the pun. And I got about, it was about 12 miles down the road when, I, when, I, when the other cluster of vehicles came up from behind me and caught me. When they caught me, I turned my signal on like I, I planned pulled off the shoulder and I had a couple of drivers that were telling me, it hey, wasn't anything more of it, anything problem. I said, hey, listen guys, I just got to get, take care of something. You know, got to get, get, get rid of a little bit of weight here. And they all laugh, ha ha ha, funny, you know, you go up there and it's like I'm going to stop to take a pee or something like that. But anyway. Right, right, just like saying, I have a hot tire. I have a hot tire. I yeah. have, uh, I have to drain the main vein or something like that. One of those <laughs> yep. Straight out of, straight out of, uh, you know, Anyway, so I, I stopped. Now, now, I don't carry a knife. I carry a pair of side cutters. That's what I carry. I mean, that's just, that's just what I do. I mean, it, it's, it's better than a knife. But anyway, so I get out, and I run in behind her, and I take my side cutters out, and I cut off the rope, cut the rope, and I drag the body um, about 20 feet off the road into the shoulder, and I leave it there. And then I run back, and I get in the truck, and, and I drive down to... Um, um, God, I'm trying to think of the, the island. It, it's, Grand Island, probably. Grand Island, Grand Island, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Bosselman's used to be down there before Pilot bought him out. Uh, so I went to Grand Island, and at the Unical 70 truck stop, I pulled in there and parked, and I cut out all the uh, all the rope that I had tied up underneath the trailer, got rid of that. And I went through her clothes and got rid of that, all of her clothes and that there. And I went and drove from there, went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and went down 35 to 70 and over to Kansas City, Missouri, or, or Kansas City, Kansas. And that's where I fueled up, and that's where I logged myself as, 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 as if I had gone down to Fort Collins from Laramie, down 30, down to Fort Collins, over to 70 and, and across. That's how I logged my logbook so that I wasn't there in Nebraska that night. And that's that's how I logged it off in there. Now, they uh, after my arrest in 1995, I I told them that I'd killed Angel Sabrez uh, through uh, the jailhouse snitch Ken Montebrot. I wanted them to you now. My boss, my uh, my lawyer was trying to settle the case anyway. But I had to let that had to let that know that uh, that, that was my case. Now in uh, uh, on January 12th of 1996, the Wyoming um, uh, detectives 
and prosecutors were sent there to question me about the Andrew Fabrice case. And they gave me a polygraph test where they were asking me whether I had raped her and, that, and whether or not I was being truthful to the police. And I told them well, I didn't rape her. It was all consensual. And I was being truthful to the police. And I, I took the polygraph test and I passed the polygraph test, which pissed them off. They wanted me to be caught in lying and stuff like that. I told them the truth. And this is what happened. She was in the truck with me for a week. You know, what the hell? Uh, so we're, and I met, met her under the pretense that she's an exotic dancer. What the hell else do you think we we're doing? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Playing checkers? A little bit of backgammon? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't much in the chess. <laughs> I like playing lizard chess, but anyway. <laughs> Brutal. So... Yeah, but you know, it, it was one of those things. Now, when they I, when they pick up the body, now the Wyoming went to pick up the body, and they they scooped her up with a with a loader, and they put it on a flatbed, and they they ran it back. So Nebraska never even investigated the case. They identified her because when she was 12 years old, or somewhere along those lines, she had broke her hip, and they had a pin. She had a pin in her hip, and it had a serial number on it, and that's how they identified who it was. Now, the irony of this is now you watch the new Dexter series where the Dexter gets, you know, gets shot by his son. Yep. And he's caught. He's caught because of a pen that was mm -hmm. in one of his victims that burned up, right? Yep. The, that so you kind of wonder where they got that. Rich guy's son, from. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, you wonder where they got that idea from, right? Well, I, used, I think it had to come from my end of the briefcase where... <laughs> They identified her by, by the pin that was left there. Yeah. I guess I needed to drag her another 12 miles. I'm not sure. I, was something like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. drag her far enough. But, but a lot of people asked me what was left of the body, and I said, well, from her ears forward was gone, uh, the hands were gone, the arms were gone, and the chest cavity was open was gone. Most of her internal organs were gone. And so wow. there was like maybe 60% of her body weight was gone, I guess, something like that. Maybe 50%, something like that. Well, it, it's going to uh, sound sick, but, you know, honestly, I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking at it from your point of view. That's actually a good way to go because, you know, at the time, they they mostly identified people with either their jaw bone because of uh, dental impressions yeah. and teeth or fingerprints. Yep. And you took care of that problem. They ain't got neither. What you didn't know is that she had a pin in her hip. Well, and the funny part about that is I didn't even realize that happened with your case. But when I had when I broke my ankle and I got a rod and pins put in my ankle, I, I go to the doc. The doctor said something about they they have ID numbers. I said, oh, so you can identify me when somebody kills me. And he goes, yeah, that's why. <laughs> I'm like, okay. so, so before I went to Wyoming, before they, they hauled me to Wyoming in 1998, well, 97, I get, December 97, they come, they come and get me, they fly me up there. But. Before they get me up there, I contact the media, and I tell them that I dragged the body underneath the road on, on, on the pavement. And I wanted them to know that before I got there, because I didn't want it. If there was a trial, the only reason to have a trial is for, for, for discovery. And I wanted my future jurors to understand why I did it. I didn't want them to all of a sudden surprise the jury, well, oh my God, you dragged the body on the highway. Uh, I wanted them to discuss that at when they went to have their morning coffee and donuts somewhere where they sit there and talk about, hey, you know, that's why I did this. 
so one of my future jurors, when I get them on the, you know, they all know that that's what I did. My lawyer at one time said that they're going to kill you because you told them that. I said, no, they're not going to kill me because I told them that. Right. Because they get, everyone's going to know why I did it before there is a trial. That's why when I got to Wyoming uh, in 97, and when I went there and at my arraignment and everything like that, the, the prosecutor uh, was aware of what I'd done, and, and they wanted me to go back to Oregon. They wanted to just cut a deal and send me back because, accordingly, I don't play fair. I didn't play by their rules. In other words, I, a, a normal a normal suspect is arrested and he clams up. He doesn't say anything. They don't go on the stand. They go, don't get to talk on the stand. But I was very boisterous and put him all this case out there. I didn't hide anything. I threw it right out there. I wanted everyone to know. This is what I did. This is why I did it. And uh, if you just want to sign off on it, I'll just sign off on it and take the deal. If not, if you want to, if, and I told him, I said, if you want, if you, you're going to plan on killing me, then you're going to you're going to, you're going to work for it. I'm going to make you pay every dime there is in court to make you work for it. I'm not going to give it to you. And that's what I did. <laughs> and that's how this case developed. And they, and eventually, like I got there in December of '97. In in June of ninety ninety eight, I was back in Oregon. And they gave me twenty five to life. They gave me time I'll never do. Right, I'll right, never right. do the time. I mean, I was I'm, I'm doing Oregon time when I was there, and I'm still doing Oregon time now. I mean, I got six murder convictions, and I'm still doing Oregon time. That's it. I'll never do anybody else's time. And that's what that's that's a troubling part when you deal with remaining. multiple multiple. Now, do you want me to call you back? Yeah, let's do one more call. All right, one more call. All right, buddy. All right. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Join the join the conversation. Be uh, pretty all right. Pretty all right. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved if you're hearing this or any part of this on anybody's show or podcast or lying. David Bastards. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.